Hi guys, today I was joined by Jake from Caradoc Conditioning. Jake has a master's level degree in strength and conditioning. Um, he's worked with loads of rugby players and he's an absolute fountain of knowledge for everything strength and conditioning related. There's loads to take from this, so I hope you find it useful. Before we sort of chat about any like actual SNC stuff, I'm just kind of interested, like how did you get into it? Uh, into SNC itself or rugby? Um, into rugby first. Um, so I played on and off a little bit when I was younger, like in high school. Um, didn't really commit to it that much. It was literally just, you know, you know how high school is. Um, and then went to college, really wanted to take it, you know, pretty seriously. Got, uh, got really injured. Um, so I only ended up playing the first game of the first season. So year one, and then the last game of the last season. So literally didn't really hardly get to play any, uh, came to uni, um, you know, basically did it for four years here and yeah, absolutely loved it. Obviously coming to Cardiff, um, rugby is a lot bigger in Cardiff and it was in Hereford. Um, it lined up well with my, my course, all of my mates, um, were all rugby players. Uh, I lived in a house, uh, first year I lived in a, a house with eight other rugby boys and yeah, um, kind of just went hand in hand with the course and just been involved in rugby ever since really. And then did the coaching sort of start because of the rugby? Um, nah, so I was always I was always pretty eager to do the, um, the coaching, um, like strength and conditioning coaching for athletes and stuff. Uh, it just kind of went down the rugby route because, uh, well, it was a sport I was playing at the time. Um, but also, obviously, when you're starting out as a coach, a lot of the time you coach for your mates and stuff. And um, that just happened to be, considering, like I said, living in a flat with eight rugby lads, um, ended up doing programming for um, a couple of them here and there and just kind of went from there and that's where the um, social media took off with the rugby kind of side of things and not necessarily the other sports. Oh, nice, nice. So I'd be right in saying you're more sort of interested in working one-on-one with rugby players rather than teams? Um, yeah, so I did, I did, everyone kind of thinks about, oh, you know, I want to be, I want to be working with a team and it's all right in theory. Um, but you know, as far as I'm aware, uh, the the clubs kind of like like take the piss a lot at the start. So uh, you do like potentially a couple of years, a few years um, of almost full time hours for completely free, just to build up experience, and um, before you can get any kind of um, paid work. And um, there's an abundance of that anyway. So you know, I kind of wanted to make an impact. Obviously, want to be able to. Uh, work like with the finance, finance my, sort out my own finances and everything as well. Um, and so basically started um, doing doing the one-to-one stuff just because I could jump straight in with that. And that's kind of where I saw the, the missing link. So, um, I mean, there's quite a few coaches doing it now, like trying to provide elite kind of level of S&C um, for everyone else because not everyone else used to have access to it. Um, but when you're already in an academy, you've got probably like, Every, every academy or every rugby club's probably got like 10 strength conditioning coaches lined up ready to do free work. Um, so, you know, it's quite, quite oversaturated. Yeah. So what's your sort of, like, where, where do you think it's headed, your online coaching? Um, good question. I think online it's kind of just, it, just carrying on with the same trajectory that I'm doing now. So um, continuing to make content, obviously just trying to level that up every time I post, get better content um branch out to other things you know like do podcasts um uh, but really do some more like not necessarily online stuff but do some more in-person stuff so 
plans for the new year are um, to get around to a load of the local rugby clubs, especially with some of the developing athletes. So, you know, like, uh, or basically like the youth teams and stuff, um, getting involved, running some free strength conditioning stuff in person. Um, and then hopefully, you know, using that to get a few leads and maybe do some stuff with that in the future. And then the last kind of thing is setting up my own city, um, which will obviously help me make content in there because it's a bit annoying having to do it in a commercial gym. Um, and also I can train people in person there as well. So that's kind of where we're heading over the next few years, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be really cool having your own spot and like you could obviously bring people in and work with them one-on-one like in off-seasons and stuff. That'd be really cool to see. Exactly. Yeah, even though it doesn't even have to be one-on-one, like I'd, I'd be quite keen, you know, um, depending on how big the facility is, getting in like a group of lads, um, if they're all, all from the same team or whatever and, you know, get getting stuff involved. I do like the team environment, especially with rugby. So that is one part I miss about doing it um, one-to-one, but also a part I miss from doing it online as well. So eager to get back involved with that because I was involved a little bit whilst I was at uni. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite part about like coaching rugby players is the one bit you enjoy more? Um, I wouldn't say it's about rugby players specifically, but in terms of coaching, I I like I just like teaching people. I like kind of fast tracking people so that they don't make the same mistakes that I did, and that's just like really satisfying. So I know for a fact that you know if, if maybe I didn't get involved and help this person and give them you know X Y Z information that they might have been spinning their wheels for two or three more years just like I was, um, but now instantly they see the progress. Um, and you know they absolutely love it and everyone's always really grateful they're always like oh you know thanks so much and I've made this much progress or whatever and you know I think everyone who kind of coaches or teaches anything whether it's strength conditioning or sport or school or whatever will say that it's super rewarding in that kind of aspect yeah yeah um one of the the biggest problems like rugby players face is getting injured um why do you think rugby players get injured so often uh i reckon you can break it down into two main things so number one is going to be overtraining or not doing enough of the injury prevention stuff and then the other thing is just it's the nature of the sport it's a contact sport um there's like if you're gonna if you're gonna take a huge hit on your clavicle um you know you get ac joint sprains dislocations and stuff they're really prevalent nothing you can do at the gym that's going to prevent that um so yeah I, i break it up into those two things really Okay, yeah. And like in terms of like things that people can do, what do players get wrong the most with their trying to prevent injuries? Um, so I'd say it's not even what they're doing wrong trying to prevent injuries. I think realistically, majority of players don't even think about it. So they're not trying to do anything and therefore, you know, they're gonna one overtrain. So doing too much, especially in season. Um, if you're doing, you know, let's say a lot of people think you need to be training legs like two or three times a week, uh, let's say two times a week, that's what a lot of people think. You're then adding on two sprint se- sprint training sessions a week. You're then adding on God knows how many actual running or training sessions. And then you've got at least one game a week as well. Um, so you end up having a ridiculous amount of volume going through your legs. Um, let, let's say your hamstrings or your adductors, for example, quite prevalent injuries in rugby. Um, they're just not recovered too much load going through them all, all the time. So um, it just increases your risk of injury. And then the other side of things is that you know people aren't preparing themselves beforehand. So um, if you, you know, for your hamstrings, everybody knows, do your Nordics, do your eccentric lengthening exercises. 
if you haven't done that leading up to when you're training or you know doing it whilst you're doing all of your training and in season and stuff um you're just setting yourself up to fail really so kind of got to attack it at both ends don't do too much um in terms of the training and the, the volume that you're doing for your legs but then don't miss out on the injury prevention stuff in the first place okay cool so for like your standard um like semi-professional rugby player and they play on Saturdays and train on Tuesdays and Thursdays, how would you be splitting up their week from like Monday to Sunday in what they're doing in the gym, like sprinting and training all of it? Okay, cool. So absolutely everything. So like sprinting, conditioning, gym work. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So there's, there's, you know, more than one way to skin a cat. So that's the first thing I'd say is that I'll give you one example, but that doesn't mean that any of the other examples aren't equally as good or, you know, um, can't work so one way you can do it and what's a common way to split up training for athletes is to do like a high low method so you have one high intensity day followed by a low intensity day so that you've um you know your cns and everything has got a chance to be really stimulated one day but then you've got a full day for kind of recovery and that kind of thing so um you would potentially you can have your high days on the same day as your training so you might want to do um, some strength training in the morning and then some sprint training before you do your rugby training in the evening and then do your rugby training as well. Um, one thing you do have to be careful of is doing too much in the same day. But also, like I said, if you're going for the high-low model, you are going to have some really intense days and then you're not going to you're gonna have some really low-intensity days. So, for example, um, I think you could do like a full-body day on your Monday um, and then on the Tuesday, you could just have that dedicated just to your training session. Wednesday, you could have an upper body day. Uh, Thursday, you could have training again. And then, you know, Friday, you could you could have like a power up day, which is basically where um, you do not too high volume, but you focus on a few compound movements, moving them really quickly. And that can have a potentiating effect on your Saturday game so that um, you're not sore, you're not, you're not you're feeling really fresh and your performance could actually be increased. So it's a difficult one. Um, the main thing that people get wrong is that they try and do too much. So um, realistically, the most like high intensity days that you're going to be able to get um, is going to be three in a week, like really high intensity. And one of them is already going to be your game day. So you've really not got that many days to play with. Um, so have a, it's also going to be really individual as well. So um, some people are going to, perform um really well in training after they've already like if they've done workouts in the morning they're not going to suffer that much um whereas other people um prefer to do like a hard workout the day before and that doesn't seem to affect their training so like i said many ways many ways to skin a cat so it's a difficult one to answer okay cool yeah that's interesting um so what about right after someone's played a game what's like is there have you got like a checklist of everything they should be doing to recover Day after or like, straight away? After? Like straight straight after they've played a game. And I guess just the whole their whole lifestyle as well. Like how can they be recovering? So it's a difficult one because the, the, the elephant in the room is that everyone's gonna go straight to the pub and everyone's gonna get a beer. Um obviously if you're if you're if you're old enough. Um but that's the worst thing you can possibly do. So alcohol messes up your recovery and I could I could list off five five different ways um straight away, but um, the first thing is you're going to be dehydrated um, and you're going to have depleted, you know, um, like your carbohydrate stores and stuff. So 
get electrolytes in, get water in, and get a load of carbs in. So make sure that your, your post-game nutrition is really, really important for just firing up that recovery so that you're not playing catch-up the whole time. Um, if you straight away go into the beers, you'll probably, you might get your food in. Uh, the beers can make you more dehydrated, um, which obviously is not what you want to do. Um, so it's a difficult one. Just get your hydration in there in terms of water, electrolytes and carbs, nutrition in terms of your carbs and your protein. And then it's going to be obviously your normal stuff. Basically just do nothing is probably the better way. Um, a lot of people think you have to do all this active recovery stuff. It Active recovery is not going to like fix anything quickly. Um, in reality, it might even add on a little bit of extra stress. So you definitely don't want to be going and, I don't know, going for a swim or something or doing loads of foam rolling straight away after the game because you think you need to. Just chill, eat, sleep, rest. Um, and you can maybe leave that for the next day if you really wanted to get moving and do something. Yeah, are you a fan of like ice baths and getting on a bike the day after a game and that sort of thing, like foam rolling? Um, so I do, realistically, I do get pretty much all my athletes to do one minimum act active recovery day. Um, and that is usually the day after. Um, there's all... If you're using the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday example, um, you might also want to chuck one in on the Wednesday. So Wednesday and a Sunday. Um, so you kind of got a break in the middle and you've obviously got your break afterwards. But what I put for that is um, a couple of like bits of band exercises. So it could be a good opportunity to just put in some of the really low level um, injury prevention stuff that you're not necessarily doing on the rest of your day. So maybe band work, external rotations, face pulls, um, maybe some calf work, um, toe raises, all kinds of different stuff that you can get a bit of blood flow in, but aren't going to like cause muscle damage or fatigue and stuff. Um, and then get on the bike, spin out for 10, 15 minutes, and then do five to 10 minutes of foam rolling and stretching afterwards. That's usually what I get my athletes to do. If they want to go and get massages, do ice baths, do all of these little things, go for it. Um, as far as I'm aware, there isn't, there really isn't that much research to support um, but it has a positive benefit, but also it does it works the other way around as well. It's not necessarily going to make things worse. So it's subjective with massage, with all these different things. If you find that it helps you, by all means, go for it. Um, if you are doing it and you're like, this doesn't make a difference, don't waste your money, don't waste your time. Um, I think just focus on the main things like making sure you're eating enough, making sure that you're resting enough, making sure that you're hydrated and make sure that you're not doing too much in the first place um, and you're not going to, you know, I'll recover the rest of it. Like that's the most important stuff to nail, really. Yeah. And how much more important is eating and sleeping properly than doing um foam rolling the day after a game? I, I don't even know if I could um compare it. I mean, like nine, 95%, 90, I don't know, maybe even more percent of it is going to come from sleeping. Um, Probably 99% of it is going to come from sleeping, hydrating and eating enough and then your extra few percent is going to come from little tiny little things that might make that extra difference so i've said it before if you're not nailing the rest of them don't waste your, don't waste your time or money um and that's kind of you'll notice a lot of good coaches preach that and if they're trying to push you down another route you know be wary of it yeah so how much should rugby players be eating in season then good question um Obviously, it really, really depends on a lot of different things. So um, in terms of, I, I like to keep nutrition really simple. So I always tell my athletes, because everyone always hears like, like how much fat should I have and how much protein should I have? And is it 
1.1 gram per kilo of body weight or is it 2.6 grams per pound or whatever the weird numbers people throw out keep it simple if you're using kilograms do two times your body weight in kilograms and use that for protein so for me about 80 kilos so 160 grams of protein give or take it doesn't matter if it's 140 it doesn't matter if it's 180 it doesn't make a difference next you got your fat one times your body weight so for me 80 grams of fat give or take it doesn't matter if it's 60 it doesn't matter if it's 100 realistically try and keep it consistent then you can make up the rest of your calories with carbohydrates so that's going to really change from individual um i mean you can go anywhere from like four times your body weight in carbohydrates up to like 10 times your body weight in carbohydrates if you had a ridiculously huge day and you're a real big lad um and you know you've done lots of running or whatever so calorie wise it's it completely can depend i would say if you're trying to maintain which most people are in season um, on a training day. So where you've had rugby or any kind of training, it's going to be a minimum of 2,500 calories. If you eat any less of that, you're going to be losing weight realistically for most people, unless you're like a 60 kilo number nine or something. But yeah, it's it's a lot, quite a lot of calories. And like I say, it's really individual. Yeah. Um, quite a common problem, I think, is people trying to gain weight in season, but when you're trying to gain weight in season, they have to eat so much. So often they won't be hit, like be able to eat the right foods. Mm. Um, what would you, what would you say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I like, was... it's very, it's very difficult to eat well if you're trying to eat 5,000 calories a day. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, it, you've got to define what eating well is as well. So everybody thinks that it needs to be chicken, broccoli and rice. And, you know, Sure, that makes things that makes things really easy to track, which is why bodybuilders do it. But um, like I said, um, you if you're using the one gram per kilo body weight for your fat, it's actually quite a lot of fat, and you can get quite a lot of your calories from that. Whereas some of the bodybuilders might be having half of that. So some bodybuilders, um, you know, might recommend like thirty to fifty grams, whereas your big lads might be having a hundred or whatever. And you'll find if you're having a more fat, um, you're going to be having like more calorically dense foods and it won't be as hard same with the protein a lot of people overeat on protein protein is really satiating um so if you're overeating on protein let's say you only really need 160 and you're eating 200 250 that's another thing that's going to fill you up a lot more so um we need to define what eating bad and eating good is it's going to be really relative i do recommend for a lot of people if you're struggling to put on weight the two most important things obviously um, outside of just getting in good food is going to be creatine is going to help you put on some weight whether that's um, water or whatever it is the fact is it just if you load up on it and you have um, I like to say what do I use what do I like to say in terms of grams for creatine I think 0.1 times your body weight so for me 8 grams of creatine a day um, that's going to help you put on some weight in terms of water or whatever and it's actually useful and then in terms of getting in calories Make yourself some shakes. So it doesn't just have to be protein powder, but um, liquid calories go down a lot easier than, than whole foods, especially if you're trying to get a lot in. So um, you can put whey protein in with full fat milk, peanut butter, banana, oats, honey, and they're all really healthy foods full of vitamins, minerals. I like to call that a recovery shake. If you have that straight after a game, it's probably the easiest 1,000 to 1,500 calories you've ever eaten in your life. Um, and it's digested within an hour or so, and you're ready to go again. So I recommend one or two of them a day. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, another common question is 
people taking creatine, do they need to cycle it or? Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, definitely not. Like I said, I mean, lot, lots of things are coming out um, more recently. Um, in reality, I, I never say for people to cycle it. Um, I never tell people to worry if they miss it out. 0.1 times your body weight, so eight grams I take, um, and I can split that up into two doses, so four grams and four grams. No particular reason. I just think, you know, um, I feel like it goes down better and it, you know, it's just going to digest everything better if you're not doing it in one huge go. If I miss my creatine one day, I don't double up the next day. You just carry on like normal. It's just like if you're eating food, realistically, um, if you, you know, if you, if you skip certain food that one day, you shouldn't really try and make up for it the next day. Just take every day as it comes and use it as like fuel. And yeah, don't load up on it. Just go for it. Most people don't, I've never, I don't know anybody who's ever had any side effects from it. And um yeah just stay hydrated yeah i do wonder sometimes why why, why people don't take creatine just because it's so like it's so cheap and it's so easy yeah yeah that's ridiculously cheap i don't think people realize um i mean i, I don't know off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure you can get for like six months it probably cost you like 30 quid or something ridiculous if you just go for like normal creatine monohydrate um and i i had a with one of my lectures i actually had a um, a lecturer of like sports nutrition come in and talk to us and uh, in, if anybody is ever worried about it not being safe um, for you for whatever reason or if it's safe for kids or not he said that he has his seven-year-old kids taking creatine because it's not just doesn't just get you big it's got cognitive um, enhancement effects so it can improve you know your memory and just general cognition um, it's actually prescribed to elderly people um, I actually found out a couple of years ago that I found out my nan was taking creatine. I thought that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, you know, it's really safe um, unless your doctor said otherwise, I really recommend you take it. Yeah. Um, what's some other, what's like, uh, just, just some other big pitfalls that you see rugby players make with their nutrition? With the nutrition, um, do you know what? I, I don't find that rugby players struggle as much with nutrition as a lot of other sports. Um hmm there's a lot of big lads and there's a lot of big eaters. So um, if anything, it might be um, just drinking too much. Um, obviously it's not what a lot of lads want to hear, but the, I made the most progress ever when I just slowed down the amount of drinking I was doing. So when we go back to thinking about how many like high intensity days you can have um, in a week, a lot of that is just because you simply need time to recover. And what will happen is people will have a super and high intensity day you go out and you have your, you know, your weekly match on a Wednesday or whatever, or a Saturday, and then you drink a ridiculous amount and you're even more ruined for the next day. And it's a difficult one. It messes up re with recovery. Um, it, it's extra calories that aren't coming from something useful. Like it's not gonna, it's not micronutrient dense. It's not going to give you the micronutrients that you need. And it's not going to give you fat that you need for your hormones. It's not going to give you protein that you need for building blocks and, it kind of just all goes to your gut realistically. So yeah, that's the main issue, I think. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um I didn't tell you this before, but what's your um what's your thoughts on C B D oil? Uh I actually I actually have tried it once. Um well I I, I think I had like two of the little vial things and you know with the pipettes in. I didn't notice any difference personally. Um again, I think it's one of those things exactly like massage, exactly like these hot and cold therapies. Um, and all these different active recovery things. If you try it, 
like if if a placebo works for you and you and for whether it's placebo or not go for it like if it really strongly affects you absolutely go for it um as long as it's not you know if, if you're if you're struggling to to finance things spend your money on stuff that's really researched and that you see improvements on um if you try something and you really like it and you can afford to keep going with it absolutely go for it um from my understanding it can help with sleep it can help with recovery um but outside of that i don't think it's anything magic again it's going to be part of that one percent if you're not nailing your nutrition your sleep um and all of your bits of training that you're not over training then then you know there's no point you can try yeah i think a lot of people take it to help their sleep but like there's a lot of other things you can be doing to help your sleep yeah so on that topic um one of the supplements that i really recommend for lads is zma so it's zinc, zinc, um, magnesium, and vitamin B6 or vitamin B12, I think. Um, but basically, try it, lads. Um, it's great for your immune system. Um, zinc and magnesium, well, magnesium really helps with a deep sleep. Um, and ZMA, like from the first time you try it, I've got a pack in there, um, a bottle in there. From the first time you try ZMA, you will have a super deep sleep and you will have weird ass dreams. Like you unlock these dreams that, yeah, I don't know if it's because you're sleeping deeper or whatever, but you really feel it. Um, I always feel, um, you know, I just feel stronger. I feel like I sleep better and um, it helps with testosterone, immune system and sleep. So um, I recommend that over CBD any day, personally. No, oh, that's interesting. I've not actually heard that before. Yeah, have a go. So ZMA, zinc, magnesium um, and vitamin B6, I think, like, all combined in one pill. Yeah, yeah, I'll try that. Cool. Yeah, um... Yeah, I guess is there, any, is there anything else you sort of want to go over which might just be useful for rugby players listening? Um, so I'll talk a little bit about um, sprinting and power training because I think it's something that a lot of people get really wrong. So sprinting-wise, uh, like everything that you do, everything that you train for is almost like a skill and you have to practice it. So people think that going to the gym all the time is going to make them faster. Um it's not going to make you faster. What you need to do is go to the gym and do your sprinting. So what um, if if speed isn't is a really really like top priority, you need to be sprinting two maybe even three times a week. Um, in terms of sprinting, let, let's say you're really prioritizing it and you're you're a winger. Let's say um, one of those sessions I like to be focused on acceleration. So you might spend the majority of your time between naught and thirty meters. Um, working on accelerate drills that work with acceleration technique so um, knee drive and you know always keeping your chest up um, like good posture not necessarily chest up um, and then maximum velocity so maybe from 30 to even 80 meters um, where you're really upright um, working with that cyclical nature with the with the feet um, and really just loading up those hamstrings both of those are really important. You've got to practice both of them. Um, and then you might want to do something that's more technique-based or potentially like endurance-based for your third kind of thing. So um, that's where you might want to do tempos. So you're still kind of getting a bit of a speed stimulus because you're doing um, like high-intensity running and practicing mechanics, but it might not be necessarily as like neurologically fatiguing as all-out maximal sprint training. Um, and then in terms of power stuff, so... Words like explosive, explosive power, explosive strength, and all these things get thrown around. And I think it confuses people because it confuses me. And like, I know the definitions behind all these words and people throw them out. Um, so power is just 
simply um, how like moving weight quickly or moving a certain amount of weight quickly. So um, higher power is going to be faster and heavier. So you can choose whether or not to make something faster or make something heavier um, to try and, you know, change how much power you're getting. Uh, you can't continue to make something faster and heavier. You know, like if you keep loading up weight, you're going to slow down. That's something called the force velocity relationship. Um, but, you know, that's for another day. Um, but what you want to try and do is work on a combination of things that are fast, like jumps or sprinting, um, slow but heavy, like heavy back squats, um, Romanian deadlifts, and then also try and pick stuff that meets in the middle. So, um, that could be like uh, even like loaded sprints or jumps that have a bit more resistance behind them um, or things like trap bar jumps and Olympic lifts that are a moderate amount of weight, but you can also move them quite quickly. Um, when you hear the word explosive, explosive just means like from the get-go doing it really quickly. Um, so everything in rugby, you want that to be explosive. Um, so getting from A to B really quickly, doing it in a short amount of time Explosive power, explosive strength, power, they're all kind of meaning the same thing. Um, you've got the strength, which is slower but heavier. You've got power, which is, you know, just how much, um, like the, the equation between uh, the force and the velocity. Mm. And then you've also got um, kind of like sticking it all together. So you've got um, explosive strength is kind of, um, closer towards the strength side of things than the speed side of things. Um, it, it, it gets really overcomplicated. And I think as long as you're doing a mix of fast things um, and light things with heavy things and slower things, and then meeting in the middle, you don't need to worry about all of these different terms like explosive strength and explosive power um, for the most part anyway, especially not until you're super elite and doing your own program. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of confusion around, um, what people should train at what times so do you always like give like block programs so like there'll be like specific goals in that program um no i don't actually i'm not a fan of block periodization um so uh basically for those of you guys that don't know um you can choose to like focus on a certain thing at one time so if you are focusing just on strength and you really like focusing like almost all of your training just on strength that would be called a strength block right um, so I don't like doing that because what happens is you kind of get this detraining effect of all the other qualities. So if you spend an entire amount of time focusing on strength, let's say, I don't know, six, eight weeks or whatever, that's six or eight weeks that you've really not been focusing on your speed and your speed might start to slow down. Um, so especially in season, I like to train all qualities at once, but in a way that you have little bits of focus. So um, one lot of four, a four week block, it's not really block because it's not just focused on strength or whatever, but one might be a little bit higher volume than the next block. Um, so that it's focusing a little bit more on hypertrophy and a little bit more on strength. And then for the next four weeks, we might just tilt that a little bit and focus a little bit more on power. So it's kind of training everything at once and not in just one whole block. Um, the way you can split it up in terms of rugby for, for blocks is just like phases. So off-season, pre-season and in-season. Um, so it's not necessarily focusing just on one kind of characteristic or one quality, um, but it's, it's, it's got to be a nice smooth transition. 
you don't want your athletes in the off season to only be doing like bodybuilding and powerlifting. And then they go to preseason. They've never sprinted before, never jumped before, never done any of this injury prevention stuff. And of course they're going to be absolutely shit. At it. So you need to kind of um, prioritize things. And um, I believe it's called vertical integration. So you, you've got a whole list of qualities, but they're in list of what's the most important. So although it might be a strength focus and strength is at the top, somewhere down the list, you're still including your speed and your power and your injury prevention. And then when you go to the next block, you might just push down that strength so it's not as important and put speed back at the top. Um, so you're vertically integrating things that are more important as the season changes and as your goals change and things. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Um, what about deload weeks? Do you prescribe them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're so, if you're just a gym lad, um, you can get away with maybe deloading once every seven to eight weeks because you've really not got that much fatigue going on. Um, you're training for about an, what five hours a week. Um, for a lot of rugby players, they're doing double that. Um, in terms of adding together the gym conditioning, training, and games. Um, so naturally, if you're doing a lot more training you're probably going to have to deload and shift that fatigue more often so in season i like to deload every fourth week um so you've got like week one two three and then a deload and then you go into the next thing people get deloads wrong um they think that it just needs to be like less training or no training um my preferred method of doing a deload is not a lot of people like to half the amount of volume and keep the intensity pretty similar. So you might have worked your way up to four sets on week three. And then on week number four, you might half that and just do two sets for all your exercises. Um, and then you could go into the next block. But I actually like to do it the other way around. So week one is a deload. And then you do week two, three, and four. Um, and week one is, I call it an introductory week. So it gives you an opportunity to try all of these new exercises that we're going to do in the new block. Um, and instead of deloading and then starting with a load of new exercises of high intensity that are going to make you really sore and really fatigued because they're novel stimulus, they're brand new. Um, instead, you learn these new exercises, get your body used to them whilst doing lower volume, and then you can jump straight into it into week two, week three, and week four, and then just repeat the cycle, repeat the cycle as well. So yeah, I think in season every four weeks. Um, pre-season every four or five weeks off season you might be able to get away with every six weeks if you're not doing like sprint training and lots of conditioning around it it's my recommendation usually okay yeah i like that so you you build up to the deload week and then integrate the deload week into the next bit that you're doing yeah yeah so you that's the two ways of doing it so you can either um start off with the introductory week where you've got relatively low volume and then go into just increasing the intensity or you can have the intensity and volume already quite high and then slash it in half um, and just use that as your deload. Yeah. But again, there's many ways to skin a cat. So. Okay, cool, mate. Um, look, thank you so much for coming on. Where should everyone go to find you and work with you? Uh, Carodoc Conditioning. Well, Carodoc underscore conditioning on pretty much all my socials. So TikTok, um, YouTube and Instagram and then carodocconditioning.com is my website. Um, but yeah, it's been good, mate. Thank you very much.